This is just sharing our knowledge and our understanding and our experiences that it may stimulate yours. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can pioneer a way or amend some things that we do or maybe take what we do and see if it works in your own context. Well, I'm so excited that today we're going to look at something that is dear to my heart. And that's how do you develop people's discipling skills? Hello and welcome again to another session in our teaching series, which we've titled A Band of Disciples. And by now, you uh, remember that this is uh, a use of the music metaphor to suggest to us that we can be better disciples if we comprehended that Christianity is about building a certain type of person in the world. We want to see people become a Jesus-like human being, live life uh, emulating the type of life that Jesus lived on planet Earth. Like musicians, they don't just become users because they, they you know, developed some knowledge or some skills. No, no, they see themselves as musicians and that prompts them, fuels them, energizes them, motivates them to practice. And when they practice and discover that there's some things they don't know how to do, they begin to go back and say, who can I connect with? What type of uh, knowledge and skills do I need to, 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 to relearn or learn afresh or whatever it might be? But what's driving all of that is a desire of being a certain type of person in the world. And that is the role of a discipler, to help people become a certain type of person in the world. And we have looked at, at you know, at the you know, three major categories to help us uh, wrap our heads around that. The discipling calling several sessions on that. The discipling communities, we've looked at several sessions on uh, that particular mini-series. And we're in, uh, uh, in our exploration of this concept of discipling competencies. It's having uh, some discussions about how have we learned over the journey to disciple other people practically. And some of the questions that we're negotiating with in this mini-series have come to our team through our online conferences or people asking uh, from within the team how to do a particular thing uh, or just basically things that we have developed over time. We didn't do too well, but we're learning and developing. It goes without saying, this is not a prescriptive way of doing discipling. This is just sharing our knowledge and our understanding and our experiences that it may stimulate yours. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can pioneer a way or amend some things that we do or maybe take what we do and see if it works in your own context. Well, I'm so excited that today we're going to look at something that is dear to my heart, and that's how do you develop people's discipling skills? How do you develop people who become disciplers, but not just, uh, you know, uh, singing the song, I'm a discipler, I am a discipler, the Bible says so, I'm a discipler. No. It's not some somebody sitting in a, in a, in on a band, uh, you know, with with a, a band of musicians saying, "I uh, I'm a musician. I love playing the guitar," but they don't know 
how to do it. And it's like every time they, they, they practice, they're like, oh, he's like goosebump in a bad way. You know, I remember um, in our very first uh, church ministry experience, it was a church plant. We didn't have a lot of good musicians, but there was a particular person who was heart and soul into worship. And that person was leading worship uh, for, for a while for the church. And um, a couple of connect group leaders who became close to us over time, they said every time we come to church, because I noticed that they were coming a little late every now and again to the worship uh, segment. And they said, we want to confide in you. Uh, we find it really hard to come to the worship segment of the service. I said, why is that? You guys love worship. Like, how come? They said, we're musicians by trade. And every time we hear, you know, this particular worship leader leads, it's like, um, it's like a chalk on the blackboard. Like they just, uh, they can't cope. It's like, it's, it's creepy. It's, uh, you know, they, they can't cope with it. They get distracted. They can't worship because the, the, the muser, the worship, uh, the, the worship leader has got some capacity, no doubt about it. And a heart of gold, but that person wasn't developing their musical skills and it was impacting others. So we want to figure out how not only to disciple people so they can grow and love Jesus and live wholeheartedly for Him, but how they can impact others and disciple others. And and and, and I'm so, so incredibly uh, proud and grateful for our team who are actually discipling people very, very early on in the piece. They don't wait for two, three, four, five years before they produce disciples, they seeing multiplication very, very early on in the piece. Why? Because they exemplifying what it's like to be a discipler, like a musician, but they also helping people with practical skills. And I want to share with you uh, three specific ideas that may help you in your own context to uh, develop uh, disciples' uh, skills in your group or in your one-on-one -on -one discipling relationships. And the big thing that I would suggest to you, and you probably heard me say that so many times in our series number two, is that community of practice is where we all develop. And I want to give you an example from my personal life, your personal life. The way you are today, by and large, has a lot to do with the socialization that took place in your family of origin. The way you observed your parents interact has impacted you in a positive or a negative way, but it has significantly impacted the person you are. The way you saw people around you that you treasure in your family uh, address work habits, um, address the church and how do you connect with the church, how they deal you know, with education, um, you know, what their aspiration for the future, all of that impacts you. You know why? Because the family is the first community of practice that you're part of where people practicing how to do life. They engage in a common purpose. They engage in a common passion to do life well. So my recommendation, our recommendation to you, the best way to develop a discipler with the skills that they need to disciple others in community is to help them learn how to disciple in a community. You with me? So if you do a, a, a great 
in a wonderful training session that transfer from that training session to the actual practice in a small community is is uh, the gap is so wide people can't figure out how to do that transfer properly also in a training session in most our training sessions or seminars we tell people how to do something it's more like skill development but the reality in a community, they learn how to do it, not to learn how in terms of, you know, mental uh, understanding of the skill, but they learn in practicality by doing it, not just learning how to do it. So uh, as we've said it before, a community of practice of a small group of people who engage in a particular purpose, particular passion, particular cause, which is obviously the cause of living like Jesus and and multiplying Jesus-like people, uh, it's best done uh, in, you know, that that environment is best for developing uh, disciples. And here are three simple ways that we can uh, ensure that the disciples are furnished with the greatest possible, um, you know, resources to succeed. Number one, we develop the disciples' identity. We develop the disciples' identity. We want to help people, like I've been saying about the band, you want to help people see themselves differently before they act differently, before you tell them you need to learn this knowledge. You see, if you are trying to help somebody to, to, to travel uh, internationally, the fact that they memorize the names on a map uh, of that particular city or country, it doesn't make them travelers or passionate about traveling. But once those people, especially young people, when they go uh, overseas and experiment with a different culture, you know, we have a saying that says, you know, they've been hit by the travel bug, right? Something on the inside of them connected passionately with a way of being, a way of doing life that is of greater impact than learning, um, you know, uh, some, some, some information about, you know, international uh, geography or international trade or, or intercultural connections. No, no, they've experimented with it and they see themselves as, you know, this type of people. So we need to help the disciple understand their identity. Then we want to help them with increased responsibility, gradual increase of responsibility so that they not all of a sudden, oh, you've learned this information, now go practice it. No. They learn in a safe environment how to live this particular discipling disposition uh, out in safe environments. Then we, we need to give them constructive feedback so that they learn how to do it even better. So allow me to mention a few pieces of scripture. Uh, just to help you realize this is a biblical, uh, it has some biblical groundings. And then I'm going to mention for each one of those ideas, some practical things that we do that may help you and stimulate your thinking to do likewise. The first thing about the disciples' identity, look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. It says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed Jesus. 
You see, this particular example comes from the miracle where Jesus asked the disciples to launch onto the deep and to cast the net. They said, we've labored all night long and we caught nothing, but we're going to, uh, you know, obey you. They catch a huge number of fish. They get out completely astounded by this type of teacher that they've been exposed to. And all of a sudden he calls them to be his disciples, to change their identity or occupation, who they are in the future. Not occupation in terms of a job, but who they are as individuals. You see, he says to them, I know that you have, you, you've, you've got the view of yourself as workers, as fishermen, as, as business people, if you like. But I have a better idea for your future, a, a, a different way of seeing yourself. I want to you to know that you're a discipler. You're someone that's going to be involved in an eternal project. You're going to fish for people. He spoke out their discipling identity from the very start. And how this is how you and I can do it with our team. Number one, model being a Jesus-like discipler. There is nothing like actually showing people uh, an illustration of what you're talking about. Have you ever heard a story of somebody who was in a, uh, uh, having difficulties, health challenges uh, because of their um, lifestyle, because of their exercise and and and, uh, and their diet, and then they they you know they encountered this problem and they became health freaks and and they now have energy and they've got you know capacities to live life the way that they. Um, you know, always wanted it. And you see that example and it provokes something within you that is not necessarily rational. Some desire that, you know what, I, I would like to live that type of lifestyle where I'm healthy and looking after myself. I know it's going to cost me. I'm not going to, you know, be able to have this chocolate cake that I so enjoy. I'm not going to be able to just sleep in when I need to get up in the morning and walk and so forth. But you're willing to pay the cost because you've seen a different alternative lifestyle. Um, the second thing that we do as people who are helping disciples discover their identity is to see it and declare it. You see, we, we often wait until people become something before we tell them, oh yeah, you're a great leader. Oh yeah, you're a great disciple. Or, oh yeah, you're a great musician. But you know what is even better than that is before they see that in themselves that you see it because God says it about them. So I, I, I have um, seen that in my own life where people would call something in me that I didn't really see in me. And it would dramatically change the trajectory of, of that particular skill or that particular lifestyle. And I've noticed that God has given me the ability to see something in people before they actually live it out. So often at time I would invite uh, you know, a couple of people and say, I, I really believe that God would have you become a genuine disciples. And I say it and I believe it and I declare it to them and to others. And eventually they become it and they say, how did you know? I, 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 I don't know that I knew for sure, but I had, I had a, a, a sense that God has got something that he wants to do in these people. And I spoke it out just like Jacob, he spoke out the future of his um, uh, you know, children, the tribes of Israel. We speak something out before it comes to pass. We speak 
life into existence, that God has that capacity that He speaks, uh, you know, life into nothing. And, and, and by His Spirit, He enables us to speak the things that He speaks uh, and we become His mouthpiece and, and speak life out of nothing. And therefore, the last thing that I'm suggesting that we can do is explore God's heart and vision uh, for the disciples with them. So we say, hey, have you pondered this particular thing when Jesus said to the disciples, you know, you're no longer going to just live for earthly stuff and, and look after the fish and clean the fish and, and build bigger fish and chip shop and maybe become the greatest suppliers of fish and chip in the, in the Galilee area. And man, you're going to have, you know, a legacy of the greatest fish in the world. Uh, I, I, you know, God has moved them from that and they found in the new identity, the new vision of their future, something so profound that they let it all go. They left it because of the greatest uh, you know, uh, vision of the future that Jesus painted for them and helped them to see that God's heart from Matthew 28, um, from, from Luke chapter 5, from what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2 and, and throughout the scripture that God is inviting us to participate in discipling others and may they over time adopt from the word of God and by the power of the spirit their identity as disciples. They see in the mirror of your life who they are. They see in the mirror of the scripture who they are because of their union with Jesus. The second thing I want to share from Luke chapter 9 about how Jesus gave his disciples and disciples increased responsibility. So uh, we read in Luke chapter 9, it says, When Jesus has called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the, the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. You know what Jesus did? He began to send the, the 12. And later in the following chapter, we see that he sends the, 70, um, uh, the, 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 the um, 72 uh, out as well on, a, on a, a mission expedition. And the reality is Jesus had, had already been investing in these people over time. Uh, some commentators uh, mentioned that in the first part of the book of Mark, they were like spectators. And then they were assisting Jesus. We even, you know, maybe you recall how, uh, you know, John the Baptist's disciples said to him, you know, this guy that you disciple, Jesus, he's discipling more people than you. And, and, and the scripture tells us that this was a misconception because it wasn't Jesus who was discipling, uh, who was baptizing. It was his disciples who were baptizing. Like Jesus was supervising their activity. And then they say at the end of, of the gospel of Mark, Jesus was launching them in their own journey and released them for the great commission. So we see throughout the gospel accounts that Jesus trained people with increased levels of responsibility, gave them a greater sense of the task over time, but didn't send them to fail by saying, okay, you go straight away. No, he gave them gradual responsibilities over time so that they build confidence and skills. We need to do the same thing if we're going to help our disciples 
in their discipling skills. We need to provide uh, an environment where they practice uh, their discipling skills uh, over time. So we transition from an, an observer to an assistant. So say, for example, in your community of disciples group, you begin to uh, provide opportunity for your members to start to uh, lead a segment. You know, we said there is three segments in our communities of disciple sessions. So they begin to, to lead a segment and then another segment, maybe two segments. And then over time, they lead the three segments all together and become the leaders of that group. Uh, they, they move from, from, from observers to assistant to leading a segment and then the session. And then you're launching them as co-facilitators in new groups or leading their own groups. So after you finish, you know, uh, uh, maybe 10 sessions or so, you begin to say, or maybe 15 sessions, whatever it might be, you begin to say, okay, who's ready now? Like obviously you've been talking about it throughout the, 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 um, uh, the journey, but Who's ready to, to lead at the moment? Who's ready to partner with me uh, in another group? Maybe they begin to see their own network of friends and, and you can partner with them. I found it much easier for people who have gone through one uh, community of disciples groups to do that with me. I choose one of them who would partner with me with a different group, but we're co-facilitators. So I lead a session, they lead a session, and they learn how to connect with people. And we, you know, we, we, uh, we brainstorm ideas together as partners. Uh, I feel that's a really easy way of giving increased level of responsibility over Time. We call that in education scaffolding. What is the next level that somebody can go to that they couldn't go to it by themselves unless I become like the scaffold that they walk over in order to get to that level of uh, a skill as a discipler. Then the last thing is the constructive feedback. And you see that even in Jesus with the, with the 72. It's written in Luke chapter 10. It says, the 72 returned to Jesus with joy. And they said to him, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Then he goes on and says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And then it finishes off that passage by saying, in verse 23 to 24, it says, Then Jesus returned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Out of this very rich account, 
I want to share with you just several practical ideas that we do in giving people who are, you know, ready uh, to engage with their discipling skills some feedback so they can go to the next level. The first thing, we celebrate their wins. Did you notice how Jesus celebrated with the disciples? He was full of joy. He was excited to see that, you know, some amazing things have been happening through this uh, uh, 72 uh, apostle was sent, uh, the disciples that were sent to to bring good news, to over, you know, bring healing and, and restoration to the oppressed. And he was so excited by what they were, you know, what they accomplished in, Jesus, in, in God um, because of the mission that Jesus sent them on. He was celebrating full of joy. He was saying, yes, I saw their enemy. I saw Satan fall and I see you now fulfilling, uh, you know, what I saw in my mind. I now seeing it in, you know, practically played out in your life. They celebrated, he celebrated their wins. Uh, next, he debriefed uh, their learning. He would explain things to them that, you know, uh, this is what God is doing behind the scene. God is destroying the work of the enemy. Actually, my father is revealing himself through you and, re and revealing his will through you. So he's giving them a context for their experiences. He's giving them a lens to see what God is doing in the ordinary but then he corrects their misconception he said but hey I understand this is exciting but don't rejoice that the spirits are submitting to you rather rejoice about something greater than that can you see how Jesus uses their lived experiences and corrects it with a with a biblical uh, worldview and then finally, he declares their blessing. He says, you know, blessed are you. You are in a far better position than some great, amazing prophets and kings of old. You are blessed people. You are blessed in who you are. You have got a high esteem, a status uh, that is so superior than the Old Testament. And you know what? You're not only uh, blessed in yourself. You are a blessing to others. He declares the blessing that they would have over others. Can you see that Jesus didn't just, uh, you know, tell them their identity from the very start. He didn't just give them an increased levels of responsibility over time from, from observers to assistants uh, to, to the full-blown uh, you know, ability to go released and, and, and do what Jesus himself had done. But he used the opportunity to provide constructive feedback. And we need to do the same thing. So in our communities of disciples, after somebody leads the first segment that they lead, we say, we're going to go around uh, the four or five or six people in, in our virtual room. And we're going to say one thing that we loved about what they did. One thing that we loved about what they did. That's the first um, round of ex uh, exploration and experimentations. Uh, the next time a person uh, facilitates a segment, because obviously it takes four or so weeks until their, their turn comes, or maybe sometimes less based on the number of people in the group, uh, then we begin to say, tell us one thing you love that, uh, that they did, did really well, and one thing that you think they can improve. Initially, people find it really hard to share something that they can improve. But over time, as you build, um, you know, trust and transparency and, and kindness and encouragement, a safe environment, 
people begin to share constructive feedback in this way. Uh, then we usually try to connect with the person once they begin to share a whole session. I usually send them a, a, a message with specific feedback because what you uh, emphasize and reward in that way gets repeated. So I mentioned three or four things that they've done really well that I would love them to repeat. So it's got to be within the parameters that, you know, conducive for development of the group members, not just say, oh, you smiled and like I explained why. That was really lovely because you created a warm environment for people to share transparently and vulnerably. I say something, you know, I love the way you, you, you paraphrase people's expressions and you honor everybody for their responses. I love the way that you shared transparently and vulnerable because you set the tone and so on and so forth. I love the way you only used a couple of minutes to introduce these segments and you didn't uh, go on about it for too long. I love the way you uh, drew people's input by calling their name so it wasn't a, a great deal of silence in between even though we, we don't mind leaving a bit of silence and so on. I give specific feedback and that way a person develops develops in a safe environment the skills they need so that when they go on their own, yeah, wow, they feel confident that they've done the hard yards in a safe environment. The most important thing in your community of disciples, it's helping people do not just helping people receive and observe. That's the biggest problem we see in our discipling environments generally. And that's why people can't actually transfer those ideas and strategies that they observed and admired in other contexts because they haven't had the chance to actually experiment with it. And we have the early blues or the implementation dip where people say, I can't do it, so I'm gonna revert to my old ways. So here you have it, three simple ways of helping disciples improve their discipling skills, help them see their identity, help them with increased responsibility and help them by providing constructive feedback. I pray these insights that we've learned as a team may stimulate your own thinking as you go and make disciples and get better at making Jesus like disciples. Can't wait to see you in our next session. Until then, be utterly blessed.